So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. Yeah, you know how it is. Um, Some people don't watch a whole lot of television. But these days, you don't really have to subscribe to TV so much. You know, you can cut that cord and turn on Twitter and find yourself in a world of information. And that's exactly where I was today. Hey, hey, Julie, did you catch any of the uh, Breonna Taylor press conference? Any of that? Uh, no, no. I've been waiting and I've been on the phone all day. What happened? Yeah. So, you know, we learned the phrase a couple of weeks ago, race, craft. And last week we talked about that in, in terms of a synopsis. And this week learned a new phrase, wanton endangerment. Uh, and, and that's what one of the okay. officers was charged with. Um, you know, wh- what I will tell you is, um, you know, the disappointment for me is just so freaking heavy, man. You know, when you sit back and you just think about what happened to that beautiful queen uh, who was in her own apartment, you think about the the circumstances, I think about some of the information that has come out in the last six months since her murder, um, you know, where they tried to coerce um, the ex-boyfriend to say that she was, I believe, trafficking or hiding or had something to do with his drug activities. It's just amazing to me. And, And then to see that basically these officers were just kind of like shooting you know, on the fly, like they shooting on the fly and, you know, she's she's dead and, and no one's being charged with murder. Like, it's it's amazing to me. It's infuriating. Um, So I just got to tell you, man, my afternoon is feeling a little like dampered at this moment. I think that you need to take that time. To, I mean, it's a grieving process before you can fight again. Right. I mean, it's. Fucking sucks, dude. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it it really does suck, you know, because it's like, you know, how much more? What what more? You know, how many more examples like this do we need? How many more of these scenarios 
um, does, does the world require, and not even the world, how many more scenarios like this will police officers embrace, be silent about um, before they just say to themselves, we, we can act better because this is not a training issue. Like when, if I'm looking at, if I'm talking to you, Julie, and I say, well, what are some of the things that cause you, one of the last things that you will ever say is that you run the risk of being in your vehicle anywhere in this country, anywhere you, you don't, you probably not going to say, you know, what causes me pause is having a run in with law enforcement. It's just not, it's not going to be on your radar. And you know, for us, you know, to have to think about it, it's just, it's just infuriating, man, for real. Yeah. So, um, so what is wanton endangerment? So, uh, according to, um, well, I was pulled up a USA Today uh, piece, and it says uh, it's a Class D felony. It's a person who is guilty of first degree endangerment. Uh, under circumstances manifesting extreme indifference, extreme indifference to the value of human life. Period. That's what it comes down to. It's uh, something that creates substantial danger or of death or serious physical injury to another person. That's what the state law says. Extreme mm -hmm. indifference to the value of human life. It's something that creates substantial danger of death or serious physical in, uh, injury. And actually, you know, it, it, that Class D felony carries a penalty of up to five years in prison. So now you can imagine why people are doubly upset. Yeah, I know the city has been bracing. Um, for more protests, so I knew something was imminent. Yeah, and you know, of course, as opposed to hold these men accountable for murder, they are going to work uh, rapidly to ensure that people don't have the opportunity to fair and free pr protest, um, which is another issue unto itself. And. Mm, I'm just speechless right now. I mean, like, literally, you don't hit me with news very often, but this this is all all brand new, and I'm taking it in, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're feeling, rightfully so, a little defeated, and and I, I don't understand, but I empathize, and I hope that uh, we can make some things right. Yeah, I do too. And I hope that, you know, when, when they are protesting down in Louisville and in other cities across the country, you know, I just hope that, that they find a way to mitigate, minimize, uh, stamp out the bad actors. Because, you know, at this particular point, as close as we are to an election, we don't need any side to be able to point to the the looting, the rioting. We don't need either side. We don't need anyone to be able to have that as a conversation marker whatsoever. Like I don't want I don't want, I don't want anyone to be able to talk about it, pro or con. No one. Uh and so I'm really, really hoping that, you know, that part of whatever unfolds is not a part of what unfolds. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't want anyone to lose their businesses and their livelihood. I don't. But I think the thing is, is that no matter what the protesters do, that's the light they're going to be painted in. And I think there's a point at which we have to recognize that good behavior is not going to override the fundamental racism that exists in so many white people um, in this country, right? That they'll look for anything for the yeah, but. Yeah, but they, they shouldn't burn down a business. Yeah, but damn, you shouldn't stand on a person's neck and you shouldn't fucking walk into their apartment and shoot like it's a fucking okay corral. Yeah, yeah. They said one of the officers, you know, I think the one that was charged with the wanton engagement uh, actually got off eight shots. And another officer who wasn't charged at all, they said that this cat dropped 16, 16 rounds. Like sixteen rounds, and, and that's a reload. Know, yeah, you yeah, you don't even know what you're shooting at. No. You're just shooting. You're shooting in the dark. Yeah. So I, I just, I, you know, again, oftentimes we have these conversations around, you know, police misconduct, police activity, and you know, the first, um, the first rebuttal is that they need more training, and I'm always asking myself, well, okay, if, if that's the case, then. Why are we not reading about these instances when police officers are engaged with white uh, criminals or persons of interest? Let me not call them criminals, persons of interest. And oftentimes when we do hear of the person of interest being someone who is white and something happens, them officers are going to jail. You know, they're going to jail. So it's just it really is like one of those things where you just have to ask yourself, like, what, what, what really will it take? And then we think about our Justice Department, um, you know, on the federal level, removing consent decrees and, you know, doing all the other uh, activity that they're doing to to sanitize some of the efforts that were put in by, you know, the previous administration or they feel like the people are, you know, being extra on, on police. I just don't feel like enough is being done. Um, and, and I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see more being done, but you used the word recognition uh, a moment ago. And, you know, I think that that's a great, uh, segue to (laughs) think about the red and gold, uh, (laughs) sign of Wells Fargo, something you recognize as you are driving around main street, America, you see that red and gold sign you recognize. Wells Fargo, not the red and gold for the fast food chain that we will uh, allow to remain nameless. We're talking about that financial institution, Wells Fargo. So I think we should probably have a bit of a vocal clinic today during uh, this particular episode. Um. So 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 let me ask you, I, I, I pushed over uh, the link last night via text. Yep. Did you have a chance to look at that? Did you see what the CEO said? <laughs> I, I did. And I'm I'm not surprised. Wells Fargo is a mess. But what did Chief Executive Charles Scharf say? Got you. Charles Scharf, my man. 
So if you were listening to the podcast right now, Charles, you'd hear me say that I spent some time on you all's website. Um, and I actually enjoyed the video on the careers page narrated by one of your team members, half Portuguese, half Indian, incredible video, a video that showed the team sitting around the conference table. It was, you know, uh, inclusive diversity was, was certainly on display. Appreciated that. And normally we don't really get to hear narration from a person who might be half Indian and half Portuguese. So loved all of that. They made reference in the video to people with disabilities. There was references on the website to veterans. And of course, of course, Julie, they had that all important diversity message. All of that stuff was a plus, all of it. But your, your man, Charles Scharf. Oh, my man. Here's what he said. He, well, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, he said, quote, while it might sound like an excuse, the unfortunate reality is that there is a very limited pool of black talent to recruit from. This is what he said in a memo that was seen by. He wrote that Roy. shit down. It was in a memo. Oh, damn. Seen by Reuters. I've not heard. Seen by Reuters. And actually what I uncovered was that he said this in a Zoom meeting. So my assumption is that someone transcribed the meeting notes and then they shared it with the press. Now, one piece of disappointment for me, you know, as I poked around the internet last night and was trying to get some, some background on this particular story, I must've read 13, 14 different articles. All of them read the same. So, you know, a bit of me put put my foot on the brake because I'm like, like you all couldn't pick up the phone. You couldn't get any additional detail. Get it. All right. So all of the articles are reading, sounding the same. Minus a word or two here. For the most part, they were about the same. And to be clear, I felt like. I felt like Charles Scharf. Is really saying what a lot of CEOs might be thinking. It's kind of like they, that whack-a-mole game. As long as you don't say anything, you're safe. But he said something. So you know we got to give it to that ass right now. You got you, you because yep. you said something, you're the one who's going to to get the, the brunt of that feeling, that sentiment. And so, you know, I'm, I'm just disappointed. You know, Here's the reason why I'm disappointed, because as the executive, we tend to laud these individuals. We have and hold them in high esteem, Julie. We place them on a bit of a pedestal for what we what we assume to be this deep degree of business acumen. We see them as being deal makers, rainmakers in many ways. We see them as being the person who has that analytical foresight where I can talk to this person and I can talk to that person way over there and I can connect that to a conversation I had years ago and I got a visionary in this corner over here. We see them as being this powerful person. We revere them. And so I, I asked myself, I said, how the fuck are you the CEO 
with, I believe, good intentions, but you would say something that we've heard from talent acquisition for the last 12, 15 years? Yep. Now, my math is not the best, Julie, but I believe there's at least five, probably closer to 10 or 15 different moves that you must get through to go from talent acquisition to CEO. I, I mean, don't quote me, but I'm believing that this is not a straight line. That you probably, if you're in any function in talent acquisition, you got some chess moves, you got a zigzag path that you got a good, which means that at every point you're learning more and your conversation should be sharper. Your conversation should be more thoughtful, more intelligent. Is this a, am I on a part? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the first part I think is, is not a stretch. Um, it is at least a few moves from okay. recruiter to oh. CEO. Okay, um, got it. All right. On so the second part, we, agree. We, okay. we definitely agree on that. I think the um, expectation that conversations are going to get sharper and smarter and more effective, um, especially around things regarding diversity, um, I think that's where you're stretching. I, I mean, uh, it, especially oh, if you're surrounded by... Wells Fargo has a long history of not doing the right thing. Yeah. A long ass history of not doing the right thing. And I wouldn't I wouldn't expect anyone within that organization to be effectively moving the needle because that does not seem to be who they are as a culture. So there there is that. And the other thing that I love and this may be where you're going but the wells fargo takes federal taxpayer dollars right they are a federal contractor and what i am so fucking sick and tired of hearing is that there's no black pipeline there's no female pipeline there's no persons with disabilities pipeline take some of my fucking tax dollars and start creating a pipeline i'm tired of excuses I'm tired of the bullshit. Take my tax dollars, start making a pipeline. Because that's what good companies should do. So, I mean, when I think about Wells Fargo and, you know, the issue that you, you said they're always in trouble, of course, we know that they open up a whole bunch of accounts. They recently, you know, had to pay a $7.8 billion settlement for, you know, allegations of hiring discrimination. You know, that's, I mean, it's, it's these types of issues for me. And, and the CEO hasn't been in his seat for an extended period of time. I, I believe he's been there, you know, for less than five years at this particular point. And, and what I will say is, you know, I read in one of the stories that he certainly has made, you know, diversity and inclusion an important tenant inside of the organization. I'm just baffled, you know, that at that particular level, you would say something that that once again is being said at a lower level in talent acquisition, but worse that you would say it and not necessarily follow it up with a demand or a request from those in your presence, those on the Zoom call. What's our remedy? What's our solution? Like, what are we doing about this? Now, to be fair, he really is talking about um you know, Wells Fargo's operating committee. He's not talking about a lack of black and brown talent. 
uh, in the teller ranks or even in the programming ranks. He, he's talking about it at some of the highest levels uh, in the organization. My reading says that this is a group of the most senior executives. And he says that this group inside of his organization currently has no black members. That really is an issue. That really is an issue for me. And what I feel like is that, you know, as an organization, when the hell are you all going to start to develop the talent that you need? Like, when are you going to assign mentors, strategic mentors, sponsors? When are you going to develop this talent? Like, this is not something that you're just recognizing. I'm just amazed that if I was black and I worked inside of Wells Fargo and my CEO said this, I'd almost be ready to quit. Because I'd say to myself, well, well, I don't have a I don't have an executive sponsor. I mean, I'm 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 crushing my goals, receiving, you know, attaboys and stars on my performance reviews over the last five, 10, 15 years. What are they doing to develop me, to, to usher me through this, this process? What are they doing? Well, and here's the other question. If you're a, a, a black American who has an account at Wells Fargo, right? Are you going to take that money elsewhere? Because the only way to hurt rich people is to take your money somewhere else. You know, that is a consideration. Um, and I, I really sat there and thought about that last night. Like, and I don't have, well, I have three accounts Wells Fargo. And so I'm asking myself like, okay, well, do I take my money and move these three accounts to new banks? Like, do I? I mean, I already bank with a black bank as well, but, but do I take my money and move it? Yeah, it's a good question. So I just felt like we should have a vocal clinic for these jokers. So again, mentors, strategic mentors and sponsors, you can call them whatever you want, but I need to see Wells Fargo doing a better job of building relationships and not figure eights like all of this ice skating and bullshitting. Y'all need to do a better job of really developing individuals inside of your organization. I I also want to see, you know, that SEAL Team 6 type activity in talent acquisition. Like you may have some recruiters that are out there working on uh, evergreen requisitions. You might even have recruiters that are working on some of the hard to fill requisitions. They need to have a special team, uh, a special team specifically designated to finding black and brown underrepresented talent for executive level opportunities. They should have a slate of folks that they are constantly in communication with. So when an opportunity becomes available, boom, they can put up five, 10, 15 people for consideration. A specific team, sole focus, building the pipeline for black and brown and underrepresented talent. It's fair, I mean, it really is not all that hard to do. They should have a team of people who are utilizing some of the new technology that might be out there like a seek out. I know I could use SeekOut and it would tell me all of the individuals that are inside of a particular city, zip code, maybe even a particular industry in a region. It would give me all of those names. I don't understand why these folks find this to be so challenging. 
I don't understand why they find it to be challenging to be, Julie, even more connected to the community, making sure that you have executives, TA leaders and others that are indirectly connected or directly connected to, you know, that recruiting process, forcing them to attend events and create relationships in the community. You got to crack the relationship code. And what I've learned over my 20 plus years of recruiting, more often than not, people can't break into uh, certain groups because they don't have relationship. Like you can put them on the phone with somebody and they sound like, you know, they've never held a phone call before. They, they can't build rapport. They don't understand the culture. It, it's just amazing how some people cannot move and you can throw me in a lion's den and I'm going to speak roar by the time I'm coming out of that motherfucker. I'm just trying to tell you. It's just amazing to me how folks see this as being challenging. And to, to have a leader, to have a leader say something so short-sighted to me, so... Uh, What's the word that I want to use? Um, not even junior, not even novice. Uh, it begins with a P and I can't think of the word. It, it deals with like being kindergarten, you know, first. Pedestrian. Pedestrian. It's amazing to me. It's just irresponsible. And, and, and I think that they should be held. Listen, come to work tomorrow and be a great leader. But today you got to get, you got to, you got to know that what you said was of no help to the DNI effort through it through, in your industry, in your company, and overall. That that's where I feel about what Charles Scharf had to say. So have you heard, is there any um have they given a statement? No, not beyond that. I mean again, they have, they're not, you know, of course they're not commenting on uh uh well let me I'm I'm sorry, let me take that back. There was a statement in one of the articles that simply said, you know, that the, the CEO, Charles Scharf, is highly committed to diversity and inclusion. And I sort of hinted towards that in the beginning. You know, he's made it one of the pillars since he's been in the organization. They've talked about the fact that they need to have more representation in the organization. They've hired some individuals. Uh, I want to say two or three individuals. Uh, don't quote me on that, but they've hired a number of individuals over the last 12 months uh, in very high senior positions, both or all of them have been white men. So, so when we know what, while I hear you saying how important it is, I'm not seeing the actions and the efforts to match that. So what I'm seeing is the press release and I'm just tired of reading the press release. I, I yeah. want to see you be genuine about what it is that you say. And, and genuine to me is, you call out your TA team. You talk about what your team is doing to nurture that that activity. You don't simp you don't just say blanket. We got a leaky or lack of a pipeline, and then stop. That's just not the way you do it. And apologies are getting a little old, right? Make some changes. No, I mean, yeah, this yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and we see, and, and again, just off of the $7.8 million mention, of course, that's no money. That's like, you know, chump change to, to Wells Fargo when you've impacted 
you know, close to 600 applicants and, you know, had to settle back wages and, you know, other allegations of, of discrimination. $7.8 million is nothing. But the point is, what we have to do is hold these organizations accountable. We got to be able to do that both inside and outside. And so my hope is that over the coming weeks, whether we see it or not, that internally employees are saying to themselves, what you said was a little foul. And we ain't really trying to have that. We ain't really trying to hear it. We ain't trying to have it. What we want to see is the re- we want to see some activity. So I'm hoping that internally there is an eruption. There is a banding of voices that hold their leader accountable. I That's agree. what we got to do. I agree. Um, and speaking of holding people accountable, we uh, we we lost a giant this yep, week. Yep. Um, yeah, one, as, a, as a woman um, who was, what, junior high, I think, when uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg became uh, or was appointed to the Supreme Court by President Bill Clinton, that was a big day for for me as a, as a young woman. And she has never failed to, I think, be an example for a lot of women uh, on what we need to do on how we can be collegial, how we can be smarter how we can be stronger and um so today she she is being mourned at the supreme court and tomorrow actually thursday when when we publish this podcast uh, she will be the first woman let me say that again the first woman to lie in state at the capitol rotunda the first the first ever ever and <clears throat> on top of it being just a a big loss for women and a, and a passing of another giant in our in our civil rights history for me it's it's even more impactful um I, i've been having a lot of conversations lately about how to be a better ally, how to be a better supporter, how to be more engaged. And, you know, we, we squarely stay away from politics a lot uh, of the time, Torin, and, and that is, is by design. But in this case, um, I have to be honest, if you are a corporate leader, we need advocates right now. We need advocates in D.C. We are at a dangerous point in history for people with disabilities as we look at a affordable care ruling coming out potentially very soon that will take away coverage for pre-existing conditions, that will impact mental health parity, that will dramatically um, impact access to medication like the kind that I take for my mental health and the prices, along with a whole lot of other things. Um, and, and right now, we need allies who are willing to go to bat for us in political ways, on the Hill, calling their senators, calling their representatives, voting for sure. Um, but I think a lot of it is is 
having some knowledge about the things that are coming down from the court and that are at stake um, in this election because the the giants aren't going to take care of us anymore, right? The John Lewis, Elijah Cummings, RBG, they're gone. And, and those protections are gone that went with them. And we need to start pushing our allies harder to do more, to be more active, to use their voices, yeah. to be more educated and aware. Yeah. The people that I've talked to this week when I've had these conversations, they, they just don't even know. And you can't, you can't, yeah. we need more from you, right? That, I mean, that's all. Yeah, no, we live, need a lot more, you know, and again, some folks called her Notorious RBG, and she really got that name started in like 2013 or so after the Shelby County versus Holder case. And really, it's a, it was a landmark decision where the Supreme Court started to look at just one, one as, two aspects of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. And one of them that stands out is that pre-clearance. And, you know, the pre-clearance, Julie, just simply said that, the you know, in, in a nutshell, you can't change, you can't make changes to the voting procedures without approval from Congress. That That's the easiest way to, to talk about it. Well, they knocked it down five to four. They knocked it down. And, you, you know, Ginsburg, she wrote a dissenting opinion. And basically what she said was, you know, you all are getting rid of this particular pre-clearance piece and and it acknowledges discrimination in voting. You know, it acknowledges the discrimination in voting. And she said nothing it, it is really like uh, throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you are not getting wet. How yep. classic is that? Yep. Throwing away your umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. And what we've seen, you know, again, you talk about it. We don't talk about politics here. But we've seen these jokers close down polling stations. We've seen them enact um, rules around voting where you can't use this type of an ID, yet you can use this type of an ID. It's just amazing the small but monumental impact of some of these decisions. And we may not have as many giants left, but we have us. And what Julie is saying is that more of us, we have to speak up. We, 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 we have to make it known how important so much is to us. You know, I just think about what we talked about last week with the uh, hysterectomies uh, in the immigration camps, or it, it, I, I, I mean, I just think about we need our voices. We need our voices. I think about how many organizations now uh, are, are speaking up since George Floyd and in the wake of Black Lives Matter, and how many more I hope will speak up after you know they process the the fact that none of the officers are being charged in Breonna Taylor's case. You're right, Julie. We need more voices. We lost a a we've lost some huge giants in 2020 and Ruth Bader Ginsburg was most certainly one of them. 
most certainly one of them. So that's my name drop for this week is to the notorious RBG. Uh, thank you for everything you did and may you uh, rest in power because you've definitely earned it. Absolutely. Rest in power. And our condolences go out to the entire family. Um, Julie and I close reminding each and every one of you to just simply be better humans. You know, it, it sounds cliche It sounds Pollyannish, but like for real, just be better humans. Think twice, think three times about the things that you are saying. Think even harder about the things that you're not saying and you know you should be. Julie and I talked off mic about some of the conversations that she has had this week. And those conversations are tough, but she had them anyway. Need more of you to be a better human. Catch me on Sirius XM channel 126 this Sunday at 1 p.m. where I'm going to be talking to the co-founders of iAccess. Thanks for making that introduction, Julie. For now, Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom. But do you have more? Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and, and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.